G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. You can go out and buy any book that will give you the formula for successful life and it's only a matter of time before the illusion is shattered. You know why? Because you're not the owner. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me again here on Today with Jeff Vines. We're talking about control. Do you like to be in control or are you happy to relinquish it? We're about to continue Pastor Jeff's message. He's sharing from Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, about the parable of the owner and the tenants of the vineyard. It's a metaphor for our lives. Let's get back into the message now. This is Today with Jeff Vines. point though and I do have one it starts at a very young age folks it's that we this is what we're like we want to be the owner we don't want anybody telling us what to do we have a sense of entitlement we even do it with God and when God restricts us there's a certain part of us that is angry and have hatred toward him now here's the second relationship quickly it's between the tenants and the messengers now I want you to remember you hear me say look up remember you hear me say that the Bible is a book not so much about the badness of men but the goodness of God because if you read the story in two verse, verses 2 through 5, you read that the owner sends messengers. And they beat the one up, and then they beat another one up, and it says he sends many messengers. And they start to kill some of them. And yet God keeps sending them. Now, the reason they kill the messengers is because we don't like anybody coming in and reminding us that we're not the owners. But at the same time, rather than focusing on what the tenants do, focus on what God does. He just keeps sending more and more messengers. Now, stay with me. Stay with me right here, and I'm going to make the final point. Listen, God does the same thing in your life. For some of you, it's your parents. Your mom and dad put their arms around you, and they try to say to you, you're going the wrong way. And your parents are God's messengers to you. You're not living your life. You're not governing your life by his rule and authority and for his profit. Your whole life is about yourself, man. And that is an empty life. And you know what you do? You pick out one thing that's wrong with your parents, and because there's one thing wrong with them, you discount everything. And that's the way you beat the messengers up. For others of you, it's this guy. You know who this is? It's your pastor. And every weekend, God sends a messenger to you. There have been many people come to Christ Church of the Valley that don't remain. Many who stay, 
But there are many who come that don't remain because they hear out on the street, word on the street is this Pastor Jeff, he's excitable and he'll give you the keys to successful life. And they interpret that as health, wealth, and prosperity. And then they come and they hear me for about two or three months and it starts to dawn on them, man, what's this guy doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's shattering the illusion that I'm in control, that I am the captain of my soul, that I'm the master of my soul, the captain of my ship. He keeps talking about how we lay everything down before God and he determines the agenda, the objectives, the goals, everything. I don't like this guy. And their way of beating up the messenger is to flee the messenger. For some of you, you went to the Felix Center on Easter and you said to yourself, I never thought I'd see myself in church on Easter. And there you were. And do you know why you were there? Because God sent you a messenger who invited you. There have been over 250 baptisms and conversions since Easter in April. Did you know that? In this place? And you know what? That's good news. That's good news. Because, because God sent some messengers into those people's lives and he started to fashion and orchestrate events together so that their eyes could be open, that they're not the owner, they're the tenant, and there's an owner who loves them. For some of you in the room right now, God is sending a friend to you as a messenger and they're trying to have an intervention with you. The road that you're on is not going to work and ultimately it's going to destroy you. But here's what you do. First of all, you surround yourself with people who will tell you what you want to hear and you run away from people who will hold you accountable for the manner in which you're living. And that's your way of beating up the messenger. Other times, it's the providential messenger of God. Every time the U.S. Open is played here in California, by the way, I got a friend, Brett Mullen. And I always think of him. He lives in San... Sorry, he's from San Diego. Brett, a little older now, but he won the 1975 U.S. Amateur. He gets me six tickets to the Open every year. I didn't go this year because of my health. I'm still not ready to travel and go somewhere like that. So I'm here. But Brett's story is amazing. He won the U.S. Amateur in 1975. His dad died a year later. He turned to alcohol to try to cope, found himself in a hotel room ready to commit suicide. He got down on his knees and he said, God, if you're real, you're going to have to reveal yourself. Otherwise, I'm ending everything now. And he told me, Jeff, I can't explain it, but he gave me, God gave me a Jesus revelation that changed the rest of my life. And I know him now and he's my savior and everything has changed. Sometimes he sends a providential messenger. Sometimes, folks, he just sends you a huge billboard that says, don't make me come down there. Or life is short, eternity isn't. Or I miss how you used to talk to me when you were a kid. Or my favorite, will the road you're on get you to my place? But here's the great irony. Now stay with me. Just this one final point, and then we'll turn our attention to that last response. I, I know you may be here and you're still on the journey. I, I met a guy last service, is baptized. He's been coming here for a year. And I went back in the room to talk to him. And he said, Pastor Jeff, I've been coming for a year and I've just not been sure. And I've been listening day after day, week after week. And today was the day. Yep, I want to give my life to the owner. Man, I just thought, oh yeah. A year ago, the guy was away from God, nowhere near. And now he's come close. See, one of God's primary messengers is disappointment in your life. Somebody comes to me and they'll say, Pastor Jeff, because my life has not turned out the way I think it should, there is no owner. There is no God. But if you think about it from a logical point of view, that would prove that the opposite is true. Because life, no matter how much the self-help books tell you, will not allow you to control it. You're not in control. 
You can go out and buy the book, 10 Steps to Success, and you can buy Your Best Life Now, and you can buy any book that will give you the formula for successful life, and it's only a matter of time before the illusion is shattered. You can set your agenda, make your plans, plan out your life, and in one instant, boom, everything changes. Do you know why? Because you're not the owner. You're the tenant. Somebody else is in control, not you. My friend Tim Price, who died last year, two years ago in Zimbabwe, getting ready to play the senior golf tour in Europe, working on his game, honed his skills, ready to go, is doing a golf broadcast. He passes out, discovers he has a brain tumor. He dies within six months. He wasn't the owner. I think of my life, November 9th, 2011, a day that will live in infamy for me. I've never been ill, really. Never had a broken bone. Never even had stitches. Been perfectly healthy most of my life. Boom! All of a sudden, one day I wake up and it feels as if I'm dying. And something happens chemically and internally and it's still affecting me now. My life changed from that day. You know why? I'm not the owner. I think of my friend Jack Potter, who's like a second father to me. His wife died a couple years ago and He's been so excited lately because he says, now I'm going to play golf. I, I mean, I'm just going to play golf every day. I don't know if that connected to his wife very well there, but let's, <laughs> let's just move on and pretend like I didn't say that. <laughs> but my friend Jack, who's like a second father, goes into the doctor's office and finds out last week that he has the kind of cancer that is inoperable. He'll, he's got about six weeks to live. You know why? He's not the owner. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? And there's a part of you that's angry about that. Come on. But Job told us, in no uncertain terms, that man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So my question is, if life will not allow you to believe you're the owner, then chances, not, chances are you're not. We're like little children, little eight-year-old girls trying to drive. You can't see over the steering wheel. You just don't know what's coming. And you know why? You're not the owner. You're the tenant. And my question to you is, to understand that everything that comes your way in your life is like a big neon sign that tells you, you are not in control. You are not the owner. Submit to the one who is, and it'll be safer and better for you. Can I ask everybody in the room, can I ask you, where does your life not align up with God as the owner, but you're living like the owner instead of the tenant? What about the goals? What are your goals, man? What are they? To build your self-aggrandizing kingdom and to get Jesus involved in helping you get your other saviors? Or is it the pursuit of Christ and to know him tomorrow better than you knew him today? What are you doing with your stuff? And don't kid yourself. What are you doing with your stuff? Building your own castles and kingdoms and huge places of living? Or are you building his kingdom? And your greatest investment is in what he wants to do in your life. Let me ask you what, do you, what do you do when you wake up in the morning? What do you think about? What do you do with your whole day? Is your whole day just about you? Oh, I want to eat this. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great for breakfast. Then I'm going to meet my friend here. We're going to have some coffee and talk about people. And then we're going to go over here. I, I didn't say women. I said men and women. So, And then... Then we go over here in the evening, and then I'm going to watch a movie, and then I'm going to go to bed, and it's all going to happen again tomorrow. Is that your day of every week? In, in there, anywhere in that week is there, man, I'm going to grow. I'm going to put some things in my life where I grow closer to Christ. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to memorize the word. I'm going to build his kingdom. I'm going to do something in my life for somebody else that makes a difference. Whoosh. 
If not, you are a tenant living like an owner. What about in your relationships? Is there purity? You guys that are dating, is there sexual purity in your relationships? Are you living within the parameters of the owner? Are you the tenant living like an owner and you're saying, I'm going to do with my body what I want to do and nobody's going to tell me otherwise? How are you treating the messengers when they come to tell you, stop living like an owner? You beat them up, abuse them, talk about them. Worse yet, apathy toward them. There's a third relationship quickly, and it's the relationship the tenants have with the son. Verse 6, he had one left to send, whom he loved, a son. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now, I want you to notice the progressive anger. The more messengers God sends, the more angry the people get. So that when God sends his only son, they end up killing him. Now, Tim Keller, who wrote the book King's Cross, who's a brilliant apologist that is impacting and influencing a lot of preachers across America. I want to give him credit where credit is due. Remember, the series Remarkable is based on that book, King's Cross. And Tim Keller gives a brilliant response to this whole parable. It's just brilliant. He says, and it's vintage Keller, that here's how you know you're becoming a Christian that the Holy Spirit is illuminating, that your eyes are open. He says that you see sin as not just a violation of a regulation, but as a resentment toward the crown claims of Christ over your life. (laughs) Man. So that when you become a believer, yeah, the cross rectifies the enmity between you and God, right? Because of what Jesus died, he died on the cross and God poured out his anger on his son rather than us. So now we're good. But the problem is the remnants of the anger still left over. Proof? How many times have you come to church and you've, uh, you're, you're about to take communion and all of a sudden the spirit of God brings somebody to your mind that you need to forgive? Ever happened to you? And you feel good right then. You say, man, Jesus died for me while I was still a sinner. Look at all the things I've done. And God is patient and long-suffering. And he's forgiven me. So I need to forgive this person. And man, you mean well. And you're thinking about ways to do it, writing them a letter. And you feel really good. And then you go out and it's Wednesday. And you haven't done it yet. And the conviction returns. What is your temptation? I'm just going to say it. Don't mean to be crass. But a lot of times your temptation is to say, shut up, God. I don't want to hear the conviction. Revenge is a lot more fun. (laughs) And you don't want to hear it. Pastor Jeff, how do you know that about me? Because it's true about me too. We all have it. And it's remnants of the enmity that we have toward God. And there's a tension every time the Spirit convicts us to do something and what we want to do. And you know why? Because we're still tenants living like owners. And Jesus says, knock it off. As a matter of fact, Christians are the only ones that know we hate God. We're the only ones that are aware that we have this hatred toward God. And we've been regenerated and the spirit of God opens our eyes and he starts to come in and soften that hatred. So it turns from hatred to love. And then we gain a pure passion and desire to want to live within the objectives, the goals, the parameters God lays down because we know he is good and he can be trusted. And if you doubt that we hate God, then why is it that the one time in history, the one time in history, the history of the world, that God made himself physically vulnerable, he was jumped on, kicked, tortured, beaten, and killed? 
And in Psalm 69, 4, the Bible says, those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. Now, what is the answer? This is the end of the message. What's the answer? The answer is beautiful. And it shows you again, not how bad men are, but how good God is. Because Jesus ends the parable by saying, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, stay with me. This is him, but you got to get it. What do you mean? All right. Who was rejected? Jesus. Come on. Who was rejected? Jesus. All right. Now, and it says he's become the cornerstone. So you've got one of two choices. According to what Jesus says, this is the hard part. And you can get mad if you want, but that just proves what I've just been saying the last 30 minutes. Jesus says, I either become the cornerstone of your life in that you rejected me, but God did the greatest switcheroonie of all time. You killed his son, and he ends up using that kill, that murder, that death as the forgiveness of your sins. And <laughs> that's good. So you can use him as the cornerstone, build your life on him, and you know you can trust him, his ways, his goals, his objectives, his pursuits of your life, or you can do that. The alternative is that you will be crushed by the stone. Wow. It's pretty harsh. That's right. Because if you do not embrace the one who was rejected and treated by God as though there were enmity between the two, then your sins are not forgiven and the enmity still exists. The only way it can change is if you submit to Christ and build your life on that cornerstone. But make no, no, no mistakes. You've got one of two choices. Either he becomes the cornerstone or he's the stone that crushes you. You angry? You are a little bit, aren't you? Who does he think he is? He's the owner of everything. And you have a choice to make. But just remember, if Jesus was willing to be treated like an enemy for you, how can it be dangerous to give control of your life to somebody like that? can't. Thomas Aquinas put it so well. If I love somebody and they refuse to love me, I hurt. I hurt because I've lost something. But when God loves us and we refuse to love God, God hurts too, but not because he's lost something, because we've lost something. What do I mean? Guys, what do I mean when I say that give God control of your life? You have free will. You have freedom to make the decisions. God doesn't cause everything that happens in your life. He controls it. There's a difference. He allows you the freedom to make your decisions and choices. And even when you make bad ones, he can still bring everything together and use it for his glory. Did you know that? But ultimately, what he wants from you and me is to recognize we're not the owners, that we're the tenants, and to keep pressing on down the road that is a journey toward giving up control to God, to accept things, to know that God is in control. That's why Adriana could die with such courage and passion. She knew that ultimately she could only do what she could do and leave it up to God. He's the one in charge. He's the one in control. And I'll give my life to him and I know that I can trust him. Even in death, I know I can trust him because even in death is the beginning of life. So that's the issue for everybody. And my challenge for every father in the room is a simple one. Have you given control over to God and do, does your wife and do your children see that in you? Let me tell you what happens. When children see their father giving control of their lives to God, it gives them a feeling of safety and security that dad is living his life for a purpose greater than himself and that there's a God that they can depend on. It brings stability to the home. It brings a sense of security to the home. 
You know what it does for a Christian wife when she sees her husband praying and being led by God and living his life for purposes greater than himself and his job and the money that he makes and the castles that he builds? Do you know what it does for her? I didn't say every woman. I said a Christ following. Do you know what it does? It makes her want to give herself even more to her man because he gives himself to the one who matters. You submit to God. It's amazing what happens in the relationship of mutual submission of husband and wife. God help us to live like own, not owners. <laughs> to help us. See, see it's, so, it's so in there, you can't even get yourself to say it. You see, you see how in there it is? God help us to live like tenants and not owners. All right. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the power of your word. And I would pray right now in Jesus' name that our eyes would be open and that we would see the measure of your love and your grace and your mercy for us and that we would just take notice of a great parable and the messengers you continue to send our way so that we'd stop living like owners and live as the tenants that we really are and give you the glory and the praise and allow you to set the parameters trusting you, knowing that you are good. I pray that if there's anybody in the room Anybody who's not submitted to your lordship, that first of all, it would have dawned on them sometime in the last 35 minutes that this is the way to go to the abundant life. It's the way to go of peace and security. And Father, I pray you'd give them the courage to take the step of faith, to give up control and hand their lives ultimately to you. And we know in that we cannot lose because Christ defeated sin and death. And so shall we. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the end of Pastor Jeff's message for today, a message about relinquishing control. But there is still more to come in this series called Remarkable. Here's a taste of what's coming up. Even if you believe in God, and even if you believed He's revealed Himself to the person of Jesus Christ, what is God really like? Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.